loving Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your kindness and your love. We thank you for making us partakers of life. We understand that it is not our goodness or righteousness or holiness that you have made this decision to give us life, but it is totally your mercies and we are undeserving of it. Therefore, Father, we worship you and say glory be unto your name, O Lord. Please, Father, the best we can do is to give you an offering of our own lives that we may be instruments by which glory will be given to your name, seeing that you are so good to us. As we fellowship with you, Father, please grant us of your spirit, every one of us who are listening. Grant me of your spirit and put your words in my mouth, that the words that will come forth will be a blessing to all of us who would listen, to give us that power, the strength, and the edification necessary for us to be a glory and praise to your name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 and 38. As Elijah, divinely directed in seeking a successor, passed the field in which Elisha was plowing, he cast upon the young man's shoulders the mantle of consecration. To him, it was the signal that God had called him to be the successor of Elijah. Elisha must count the cost, decide for himself to accept or reject the call. If his desires clung to his home and its advantages, he was at liberty to remain there. But Elisha understood the meaning of the call. Not for any worldly advantage would he forego the opportunity of becoming God's messenger or sacrifice the privilege of association with his servant. Without hesitation, he left a home where he was beloved to attend the prophet in his uncertain life. Because they are not connected with some directly religious work, many feel that their lives are useless, that they are doing nothing for the advancement of God's kingdom. Because they can serve only in little things, they think themselves justified in doing nothing. In this, they err. A man may be in the active service of God while engaged in the ordinary everyday duties, while felling trees, clearing the ground, or following the plough. The mother who trains her children for Christ is as truly working for God as is the minister in the pulpit. Many long for special talent with which they do with which to do a wonderful work, while the duties lying close at hand, the performance of which would make this, the life fragrant are lost sight of. Success depends not so much on talent as on energy and willingness. 
It is not the possession of splendid talents that enables us to render acceptable service, but the conscientious performance of daily duties, the contented spirit, the unaffected sincere interest in the welfare of others. In the humblest lot, true excellence may be found. The commonest tasks, wrought with loving faithfulness, are beautiful in God's sight. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Why Elijah? And we are going to look into two aspects of Elisha's call that we can relate with so that we also can know how to respond to God's call. The two aspects is firstly, responding and counting the cost, and secondly, what we looked at yesterday, the relevance of the performance of little duties. Since we have already looked at that in a bit, I would like to focus majorly on what it means to count the costs with respect to the prospects that we have in our lives. Reading First Kings 19, verse 20 and 21, this is talking about when Elijah found Elisha. We have already read yesterday how when Elijah found him plowing the ox, 12 of them, and he was at the 12th one, Elijah came and met him and put his mantle on his shoulders. Now, after Elijah put his mantle on his shoulders, what we read is this. It says, he, that's Elisha, left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye then I will follow you. Elijah said to him, Go back. Indeed, what have I done to you? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Amen. In these two verses of the Bible, there's a lot that we can unpack from it in the manner with which Elijah, Elisha responded to this call. From what we can see in 1 Kings 19 verse 21, where Elisha slew that oxen, you can already tell Elisha was from a wealthy family and was called to do a work that will lead him to forsake all that wealth and work with God's prophet in a less affluent environment and lifestyle. There was something to lose for him if he responds to this call. He was required to forsake a prospective future of plenty and of honor and of wealth so that he can serve God. This was a call to an honorable work in the sight of God, yet nothing so special about this work in the sight of man. Elisha needed to count the cost. To think about the work of Elijah was no small work and clearly he understood that this is a this is not something anybody wants to take. I mean, this is a man who Jezebel had threatened to kill. Taking up that kind of work, you know that it's going to put you at odds with people. You are not going to be the people's person. You are not going to be the most loved person. Elijah was not the most loved person, you could tell. He himself said what we saw yesterday. He said, all Israel want to slay me. He was not popular among the people for good. They thought they saw him as a troubler of Israel. To associate yourself with such a person, you must count the cost. There are many today who know Elijah and will not want their name to be associated with him at all. On Facebook, they will unfriend him. 
on all their social media accounts, they will unfriend him. They wouldn't even want to mention his name so that they will not be associated with Elijah because as being associated with him will mean that you will be cancelled. Elijah was not someone who you would want to mention his name in your book or want to have him as a friend because to have him as a friend is to make the world hate you. These are things that Elisha would think about. And apart from that, Elisha would also remember he had a lucrative business which was giving him lots of funds. And this work of following Elijah most certainly cannot, certainly can never be as financially lucrative as the work he was already doing. But how did Elisha respond to this call? We do not find any attempt on the part of his parents to hinder him from, the, from obeying the divine call. They had too much respect for the authority of God and they left their son to the dictates of his conscience. We can say then, woe unto those parents who are trying and striving to withhold their children from doing the work of God because of money to prevent their sons and daughters from embracing a call to preach Jesus to the perishing world or to the heathen because they see that the life of the true evangelist is a life of poverty and that it's a life of toil and hardship and persecution and they would rather that their children should be used for making money. Elisha's parents did not do this. They let him go. And what else do we see about Elisha? Elisha slew an oxen and even made a celebration about this. I mean, he had his last meal with his family. How many are making, are seeing the call of God as something to rejoice for? You see many today giving testimonies as to how they got the visa to go to the US or to the, any of the Western countries just so that they can make a living. Their ability to make more money has increased. How many do we see like Elisha slaying an oxen? Why? Not because his ability to make more money is increasing, but it's actually reducing. How many will do what Elisha did? Elisha welcomed this call with arms wide open, happy for it. Why? His money was going to reduce. His, hard, his life was going to become harder than what it was. What was he really going to do? What work was he going to be doing for Elijah? Was it going to be commanding fire to come down from heaven? Is that a work to covet? Or to make the whole Israel hate you? Is that a work to covet? Is that a work to be happy out for? Elisha was happy. Why? There was something about it that Elisha was happy for. Elisha had counted the cost. Reading from Luke chapter 14 verse 25, Jesus said, When there was a great multitude following with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counted the cost, whether he have enough to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulted whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with 
20,000, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 221, paragraph 2, concerning how Elisha um, made his decision, it says, Elisha must count the costs, decide for himself to accept or reject the call. If his desires clung to his home and his advantages, he was at liberty to remain there. But Elisha understood the meaning of the call. Not for any worldly advantage would he forego the opportunity of becoming God's messenger or sacrifice the privilege of association with his servant. Without hesitation, he left a home where he was beloved to attend the prophet in his uncertain life. End of quote. You see now, Elisha did not hesitate to respond, neither did he think it to be a loss for himself to forsake his lucrative job for the work of being an unrecognized prophet of the Lord. He was no small boy, he was a man of years. He was described as one who had bowed head. This man was called by Elijah the prophet of God to take over the mantle of leadership as God's prophet on earth. He rejoiced in it and made a feast. Not many see this as a matter to rejoice about. Elisha was able to see something that the rest of the world today cannot see. He was able to see that in forsaking this business where there was much money for him, he was selling all that he had for a treasure that was invaluable. But what was Elisha's job description? What did he forsake this good business for? We read in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21, that he arose and went after Elijah and did what? He ministered unto him. I mean, this was a man who was a boss. Think about it. He was a boss in his business that was making a lot of money. He left that business that is making a lot of money to go and become what? What you call in Nigeria, some of them say, boy, boy. To become a servant to another man. Here is somebody who had people under him. Head of a business, supervisor, leader, CEO of his business. Running his father's business. Now left that work of being a CEO of his business to go to do what? Servant work for a prophet. Why will Elisha make this kind of decision? In fact, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, how is Elisha described? It says, And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shabbat, which did what? Which poured water on the hands of Elijah. So when the Bible says that Elisha was ministering to Elijah, he was doing home duties for him, cooking the food, washing the plates, washing his hands for him probably washing his clothes also taking care of the home duties that elijah would have needed a wife to do those things for him but elijah didn't have a wife he had great responsibilities but there was a man an elisha that was there observing him following him everywhere and helping him in those things he could not do for himself ministering to elijah some people would take up this work because they have no other thing to do. But not many would neglect a lucrative business and take up this work. But why did Elisha do this? Why would Elisha leave a lucrative job, the CEO of his business, to come and pour water on Elijah's hands? I'll tell you why. He understood 
that it was better to work for God with less wages in this earth than to engage in the work he was now doing as a CEO with all the riches the world can give. There are some who give themselves to God after they have tried many other options and all their attempts to do business and to make gain and the prospects of obtaining the earthly treasure has failed. Then they will now give themselves to God's work as a last resort. There are many pastors today. They are, they are there with their lame offerings of their poverty and failure. They drop those things they've tried in the world and it didn't work. And then it, because they couldn't succeed in the work, in the world, then they take up the Lord's work as their last resort, as their last option. They see it as a means to survive and not as a holy calling. It were better for such people to find another occupation to do than give such deceptive, lame service to God. You see, the work of the ministry needs people like Elisha, who have counted the cost and choose to do the work not as a means of survival or as a last resort, but who consider it an honor and a privilege to do God to be God's faithful messenger. But how can one come to this position? I'll tell you how. In the book of Matthew 13, reading from verse 44 to 46, this is the eye of faith now, how we should perceive the work of God. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he hath had and bought it amen elisha looked at this work this calling as treasure hid in a field he saw it as a pearl of great price and he was not going to lose it for anything he saw in this work something more valuable, more lucrative, more profitable than being the CEO of his business. He counted the cost, you see, he had foresight. Elisha was a very good businessman, you know. A businessman knows the treasure hid in a field. And some will mock at Elisha, but no, Elisha knew that he was make, laying up for himself treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and where no thief can break through and steal his earthly business thieves can break through and steal and we will see in subsequent devotions how it is that that business wouldn't have survived why there was farming in the land so many times in israel so if you say oh i want to do my farm work one day that will fail elisha did a work that was greater than farming he understood but do you understand Will you leave that job when the Lord calls you? you don't, don't rush. Don't leave anywhere you are. Let every man stay where they are called. But if the Lord should call you from that business that has a lot of money to come and do his work, will you do it? Also, what is remarkable about Elisha is that, like I said, he's not given a lame offering. It's not because he has failed in worldly prospects that he did the work of God. Let us learn a lesson there. Let us not give God lame offerings. After we have tried in the world and we don't have any other thing to do, then we see the ministry as a last resort to come and uh, use it as a means for survival. Please, let us not do that. The work of God is not something we come to do as a means of survival. That is not what it is. It is a work that comes from the heart that we ought to do because we understand the treasure hidden in the field. Reading from Christ Object Lessons, page 118, paragraph 1, talking about that pearl. It says, there are many, sorry, there are some 
who seem to be always seeking for the heavenly pearl, but they do not make an entire surrender of their wrong habits. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. Therefore, they do not find a precious pearl. They have not overcome unholy ambition and their love for worldly attractions. They do not take up the cross and follow Christ in the path of self-denial and sacrifice. Almost Christians, yet not fully Christians, they seem near the kingdom of heaven, but they cannot enter there. Almost but not wholly saved means to be not almost but wholly lost. The parable of the merchant man seeking goodly pearls has a double significance. It applies not only to men as seeking the kingdom of heaven, take note, but to Christ as seeking his lost inheritance. Why I'm reading this is this. Elisha now can be looked as one who was like Christ seeking his lost inheritance. I continue to read it. It says, Christ, the heavenly merchant man seeking goodly pearls, saw in lost humanity a pearl of price. In man, defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption, hearts that have been the battleground of the conflict with Satan, and that have been rescued by the power of love, are more precious to the Redeemer than are those who have never fallen. God looked upon humanity not as vile and worthless, he looked upon it in Christ. Saw, uh, saw it as it might become true redeeming love. He collected all the riches of the universe and laid, de- laid them down in order to buy the pearl. And Jesus, having found it, resets it in his own diadem. For they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his hands. Zechariah 9.6 They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Malachi 3.17 Did you get the point? Human beings are pearls. And when we are doing the work to save souls from sin, you are saving invaluable treasures greater than money. With the eye of faith, the true servant of God will see in the work of the ministry a pearl of great price. He will consider it as a field of labor with great treasures and he will not permit any prospect of all the advantage to deter him from doing the work of God. But why? Because there is no money, no gain, no dividend better than winning souls. All the money, all the material things, all the certificates, honors and praise of men that one can amass while doing the most profitable business under the sun cannot be compared to the worth of just one soul. One soul saved is worth more than the whole world. Not many understand this today and back then and only those who have the eye of faith to see this can make the move Elisha made of using his talents, his means for the work of the ministry and for saving souls. Like we saw about Christ, Christ saw in us a pearl and he took all the riches of this world and laid it down to save our souls from sin. If you have not seen in humanity that pearl, if you look at sinful man and cannot see him as he is in Christ, what he can be and not what he is presently, and if you don't have that desire to save souls, you will not make the decision Elisha made. But we must understand there is in humanity that pearl. Christ Object Lessons, page 104, paragraph 1 says, This parable illustrates the value of the heavenly treasure and the effort that should be made to secure it. The finder of the treasure in the field was ready to part with all that he had, ready to put forth 
untiring labor in order to secure the hidden riches. So the finder of the heavenly treasure will count no labor too great and no sacrifice too dear in order to gain the treasure of truth. Amen. End of quote. So that is what we should look at it from that perspective for that's the perspective with which elisha looked at it and when we are called by god to do his work specifically the work of the ministry now it does not everybody who's called to do that but if you are called do not compare this work as though it is not profitable compared to your business it is a million in fact infinitesimally greater than any other work that someone does under the sun gospel workers of 1892 page 71 paragraph 2 says the true ambassador of christ is in perfect union with him who he represents and his engrossing object is the salvation of souls the wealth of earth dwindles into insignificance when compared with the worth of a single soul for whom our lord and master died he who wears the mountains in scales and the hills in the balance regards a human soul as of infinite value end of quote again in maranatha page 126 paragraph 4 it says oh how few feel the worth of souls how few are willing to sacrifice to bring souls to the knowledge of christ there is much talking much professed love for perishing souls but talk is cheap stuff it is earnest christian zeal that is wanted a zeal that will be manifested by doing something all must now work for themselves and when they have jesus in their hearts they will confess him to others no more could a soul who possessed christ be hindered from confessing him than could the waters of niagara be stopped from flowing over the falls end of quote and again in upward look page 63 paragraph 6 and 7 it says to determine how great a matter is involved in the conversion of a soul from error to truth we must appreciate the value of immortality we must sense the pains of the second death we must comprehend the honors and glory awaiting the ransom and understand what it is to live in the presence of him who died that he might elevate ennoble and give to the overcomer a royal diadem the worth of a soul cannot be fully estimated how gratefully will the ransomed and glorified ones remember those who were instrumental in their salvation not one will forget his self-denying labors, his persevering efforts, his patience, perseverance, and earnest heart yearning for these souls who might have been lost to Jesus Christ, had he neglected his duty or became weary in well-doing. End of quote. Amen. This is how the Lord expects us to view ourselves and his work. Even in secular business, there are some who are always seeking to avoid little works. You see, as we read today in our devotion, we, I said there are two things we look at, counting the cost and uh, the things that we should forego to take up the work of God and also, once again, little duties. Here, we are seeing clearly how we should view the work of God and why Elisha left that lucrative business of which he was uh, the CEO, I would say, of that business and took up the work of a servant without earning as much money as he was before. It is because he understood the worth of a soul. And the worth of a soul, what is it? It is. It costs the whole world. We cannot estimate it because the worth of a soul is measured by the cross. Jesus is more expensive than this whole world and he died for even just one soul. 
That is the worth of a soul. And that is why the work of the ministry in saving souls doesn't mean you have to be like Elisha, just neglecting all your business. No, God calls us in different respects in this life, different occupations. But wherever we are, we can be doing a work for God. But strictly talking about the work of the ministry, it's a valuable, important work. Reading Prophets and Kings, page 222, paragraph 3, it says, Elisha's life after uniting with Elijah was not without temptations. Trials he had in abundance, but in every emergency, he relied on God. He was tempted to think of the home that he had left, but to this temptation, he gave no heed. Having put his hand to the plow, he was resolved not to turn back, and through tests and trial, he proved true to his trust. End of quote. You see, while the work of the ministry is to be coveted, we are not to go into it except we are called into it. I mean, full-time ministry like Elisha did. We should not understand this to mean that we should forsake whatever we are doing to do the work of the ministry as pastors. Not everyone is called to this work, and this work does not mean that you will receive greater blessings than others. We will see that in subsequent devotions. Something remarkable about Elisha was Elisha's readiness to hear the call of God. It is dangerous either to go before or to lag behind the providence or the call of God. If the Lord has a work for us, He will call us to it, like we saw in yesterday's devotion, and He will lay the burden not just on you but on others. But we must cultivate a spirit of attentive, prayerful readiness. It's not as if we are expecting to hear a voice from heaven telling us, go to this work, or trust to your impressions and inward voice telling you, you need to go and be a pastor. No, not that. But you must be ready to dispose everything so that God will make your duty plain to you. Because we must be content to wait also, don't rush. And when it comes, we should be willing to obey and to follow. We must also remember that Elisha did not take up this work so that he will do some great work. There are some, some people who are not content until they are doing something great. Lowly jobs have no attraction to them. They are always impatient to do something great and marvelous, to build a school, have a great evangelistic ministry, have a sanitarium and all whatnot. They are so impatient that they cannot be content to merely pour water on the hands of Elijah. They want to do a great thing. They want to establish their own schools of the prophet. You don't see Elisha doing that. Elisha, when he accepted this call, was simply ministering to Elijah like I have described earlier. That's how his work was. Now, while it is not wrong to do these great works that I've just described, we must always bear in mind that we must be careful to move at the bidding of God and answer his calling. Elisha was not wrong to have been a husbandman, and he did not set out to be the successor of Elijah of his own will. He waited to be called. He let God lead, and he answered the call. That impatience and restlessness to do a great thing, while little duties are neglected, is not to be commended. Saving souls is what matters, and not the greatness of the work, and the saving of souls can be done anywhere. Anyhow, I mean, with respect to visiting people's homes, knocking on their doors, studying with them, it is not necessarily when you have started a school or you have a big sanitarium or you have a a health food store and then you say, oh, I'm working for God. No, you can remain where you are. Elisha was verily working for God as a husband man as also when he was called by Elijah. And many today, they are called by Elijah now from the work of just of being a CEO to doing the work of ministry washing clothes for Elijah cooking his food washing his hands going on errands for him they will not do it they will rather want to leave CEO to becoming head of a 
church school or to becoming owner of a sanitarium to them it is step down i cannot step down are you are you sure that you are thinking like a christian when you are thinking this way not many will accept this work that elisha did they would rather say oh i want to work for god and the work for god they are referring to is to go and do one great thing but elisha was brought from being a head of a business to being a servant to elijah and how long do you think this was a short time no elisha and elijah worked for many years before elijah was taken up we'll look at that in tomorrow's devotion but let us remember that we must forsake all for christ and the value of a soul cannot be estimated but then also if you are not called to a work do not look at look down on yourself we read in conflict and courage page 221 paragraph 3 because they are not connected with some directly religious work elijah elijah was not connected to a directly religious work he was just pouring water on elijah elijah's hands and doing domestic duties for elijah you don't see him preaching while elijah was around he was doing domestic duties for Elijah. And there are some who, because they are not connect, connected to a directly religious work, they feel that their lives are useless, that they are doing nothing for the advancement of God's kingdom. Because they can serve only in little things, they think themselves justified in doing nothing. In this they err. A man may be in the active service of God while engaged in ordinary everyday duties, while felling trees, clearing the ground, or following the plow. The mother who trains her children for Christ is as truly working for God as is the minister in the pulpit. Many long for special talent with which to do a wonderful work, while the duties lying close at hand, domestic duties, the performance of which would make the life fragrant, are lost sight of. Success depends not so much on talent as on energy and willingness. It is not the possession of splendid talents that enables us to render acceptable service but the conscientious performance of daily duties the contented spirit the unaffected sincere interest in the welfare of others in the humblest lot true excellence may be found the commonest task hmm? the commonest tasks wrought with loving faithfulness are beautiful in god's sight end of quote what was elisha doing for elijah the commonest task even he left that his work of plowing the field to come and do something even more domestic than what he was doing before elisha was not preaching he was not going he was you see what elisha was doing do you remember gehazi elisha had a servant called gehazi that's the kind of work elisha was doing for elijah going on errands for elijah ministering to him and remember that this was a man a full-fledged man this is not just a little boy but he was so humble and not just being humble but he understood the pleasure and the value of what it means to be under the servant of God, Elijah. And he understood how it was a privilege for him, even though he wasn't getting as much money, but he considered it a privilege to be engaged in this work, though not directly, but indirectly. May the Lord help us to see things through the right lenses, to view things well. And to help us to be as humble as Elisha, so that we will not look up on ourselves as people who cannot do these menial jobs like Elisha was doing, so that we can also not neglect the call when the Lord wants us to do work for Him. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the lessons that you have taught us now. We may have that pride in us that doesn't want to do humble duties. And our estimation of things may be so wrong that we value, value earthly things more than heavenly. We do not see the price of a soul 
and the infinite value that you have placed on humans lord open our eyes to see this that we may like elisha if necessary neglect the work of this world to do our work for you or wherever we are performing our little duties lord please give us the grace to perform them faithfully help us lord that we may know how to do our duties faithfully and whether indirectly or directly connected to your work be content with it put this spirit in us i pray in jesus name amen Don't ever stop